0: Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. The EIP-enabled conservation tillage project has been running in Chagas for the past three years and has highlighted the challenges associated with grass weeds in all establishment systems in Ireland. The challenges of herbicide resistance in Irish populations of grass weeds are becoming apparent on many farms and the work completed by the project confirms there is both target and non-target herbicide resistance. The project is a network of focus farms, which has held many KT events on these farms, which we think has helped farmers understand how best to manage these establishment systems. There have been a number of changes in staff in the project over the past few months, and today I'm delighted to be joined by John Mann, who has recently joined the project as a project advisor. John, you're very welcome to the podcast, and I'd like to get your perspective on the plough and non-plough-based systems and grass-weed problems, as you have seen it from a private industry point of view for the past number of years. But firstly, John, you might just give a listeners an idea of what activities you were up to in in agriculture before you joined the ECT project.
1: I've been in the Irish tillage industry and agriculture for 31 years now, and many of your listeners uh, may have come across me at various stages on different projects along the way. Um, I spent 10 very informative years with Lambie Agribusiness in a boy in Mead after leaving college and then relocated to uh, County Carlow. Um, And I've been self-employed until my recent appointment there on the ECT project in Chagas and Oak Park. Uh, During all of that time, I suppose I've primarily been involved in organic sludge land applications for the food and drinks industry. Um, I was the sole distributor in Ireland for a UK crop management software called Gatekeeper. Um, I would have worked uh, closely with machinery manufacturers and adopting precision farming techniques uh, and uh, soil sampling companies developing grid and zone samplings for variable rate applications. And all of the time, I suppose I would have been submitting the Department of Agriculture scheme applications and doing nutrient management plans. But all of the time, um, crops have always been to the forefront in anything I've been doing. And um, I have always been an active agronomist on the ground. So I've been working both for individual uh, clients and commercial companies. So. I suppose, I have a decent knowledge of the Irish tillage industry.
0: I'd say you're being very modest there in, ter- in terms of saying decent. I think it's a very broad and uh, varied experience you have, John, and uh, and very well-rounded. Uh, so just in terms of your, um, you know, you've been around Ireland quite a lot, and I, I know you've been dealing with people from all sides of the country. Uh, so you have, I suppose, been seeing a switch of systems maybe over, over the last number of years. Where do you think it's at, or you know, in terms of switching establishment systems from plough to non-plough based systems, or how do you view that?
1: Well, I suppose that I've studied it for quite a long time. Um, I suppose the switch, you could say, has been described as very gradual, uh, which in itself isn't a bad thing, um, because for me, um, it's a method that it must be learned. Your management practices have to change and improve. And you do need to be organized. Um, I'll give you an example like back at the very start it was predominantly min till but I remember a group of us uh, traveled over to East Midlands in England in 2001 to see our first no-till drill it was a Bertini Argentinian drill which uh, Tony Reynolds who was one of the pioneers of conservation agriculture over there and I mean even back then contemplating bringing a machine halfway around the world to 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 sow in your fields was was uh massive like whereas nowadays uh the developers there's there's so many makes and models there and are well capable of doing such an excellent job in Irish conditions and uh secondly um like most things in life um there was very little known about the methods and 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 truly those people were pioneers um but there was the usual wait and see approach from many people and let someone else try it and sure if he failed i could have told you so um but nowadays uh, like it's massive every part of the country has someone successful uh using the non-plow based establishment so it's no longer a case and it's more a case of whether it's suitable or not for a particular farm um the one thing i like i would like to stress always is that you know non-plow based systems aren't for everyone or every situation like for example if it's not feasible to contemplate in say a winter wheat situation coming in after a veg crop or whatever so it's 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 not always suitable but the one thing um i have observed right through the years is um very few people that i know who went this particular route have ever reverted back to plowing now and i'm not talking about plowing you know for a Uh, wherever it was necessary for whatever reason on a a particular year. Um, They've stuck with the system. They've learned how to to do it properly. And the one simple reason for sticking with the system is profit. They're improving their farm profitability. Um, They're able to establish their crops cheaper. They're reducing the workload and they have similar yield expectations. And the second part of it is that like soil fertility and reducing their carbon footprint have been ongoing as well. And these in the coming decade, Michael, these are all going to be far more important.
0: Yeah, you often, John, I, I suppose here, here, guys, I suppose primarily talking about um, that that environmental part, but I, I'm often struck by the, um, I suppose the efficiency of work is often something that that probably is the prim- primary, maybe motivation in some of these firms um, with, with the other things coming in, you know, maybe very close seconds. Uh, and and certainly people have adapted reasonably well. So maybe when you're thinking about all the systems and you've seen a lot up and down the country, are are there an area or two that that, that you think those farmers could potentially improve on uh, when using these non-plow-based systems? The the biggest observation I would have, Michael,
1: would be that it's not just a case of just changing the drill and driving on. Um, Like, it has to be a business decision on the farm if If you don 't adapt that mindset at the start, then you 're on the back foot before you even start um You need to know why you 're switching and and what you need to do to be successful at it i'd say that's that 's the first thing for anyone even contemplating it um when you change anything like anything you have to learn and um i'm always amazed michael how how um adaptable the farmers are when a new tractor arrives in with all the bells and whistles and technology on board um many an agronomist like me would be baffled (laughs) with with what's on tractors nowadays but the same applies when you're adopting non-plow-based systems you have to learn you know it's it's not a case that that you'll know exactly what to do the massive massive difference nowadays is that when guys were at it 20 years ago there was it was very hard to get advice and good advice and and it was a real trial and error. There's plenty of good advice out there now. Um, Just if, if people have an open mind, ask plenty of questions, try things out in a small scale, see what works best for you. You know, if your soil type, your crop choice, uh, local contracts, whatever, Um, it has to fit your rotation and your budget. And uh, many people I have started in, in, conservation agriculture by just getting a neighbor's machine in, part of a field, try it, see what works, and you know, you can take it from there if it's if it's going to work out
0: for you and 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 be cost effective. Okay. And when we come back then to 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 maybe looking at some of the areas that 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 potentially are becoming a little bit problematic. And 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 in fairness, it's not just a a non-plow-based systems, it's also in plow-based systems, which is which is weeds which are becoming more problematic. From your experience going around the countryside, which ones do you think are are, are maybe still the most problematic or are the new problems uh, emerging out there?
1: Well, I suppose uh, on the grass weeds side of things, um, wild oats obviously has been around for many years. It's not specifically associated with a non-plow-based system. Um, and ironically, a, a continuous spring barley type scenarios have been the main culprit there. Um, using one particular chemical active for successive years and uh, a lack of alternative chemistry because they weren't doing rotation. Um, Bromes, bromes are there all the time, um, uh, particularly in the likes of continuous winter barley and it's creeping in from the headlands. Now it must be said that non-plough-based systems are giving the brome a better chance of survival and moving inwards in fields. But Effective chemical control and um, like pre emergent sprays in, in, in barley. Uh, but if you introduce your, your rotational break cropping and combine it with stale seabed techniques or cover cropping, you know, and the use of arable grass margins, there are solutions out there, you know. Um, blackgrass, again, um, we all hear about blackgrass, it's becoming more prevalent. Um, The only advice for it i suppose is to have a zero tolerance policy if you see it you have to destroy it before the seed becomes viable um it's a it's such a prolific plant um you just you can't allow it to establish itself and build the seed bank in the field particularly in a non-plow based system um you know you see the seed source and the machine machine hygiene um particularly on the balers, have a lot to do with the spread of it in my opinion in recent years you have a few others the likes of canary grass spring germinators but they're easily enough controlled with axial most of the problems i see with canary grass are people actually missed spraying it as opposed to it getting away on them you know and they're just creating a seed bank for themselves and then there are more reports of italian ryegrass and new ones cropping up like rat's tail fescue and stuff as well so there's always something
0: new so you mentioned john there there along the way um uh, you know a bit about cultural control where where do you think the farmers or maybe even more widely the industry's understanding is in terms of cultural control and i suppose uh, all that being said uh, understanding is one thing but action is another Does, does the action on the ground match that understanding
1: We talk about cultural control for one reason only, and that's to try and protect the chemistry that we have. Um, I know people get tired of hearing it, but we we really have to protect the chemistry we have. And we must be serious about getting the message out there. Um, There's not an endless stream of new products coming, so we have to look after what we have. Uh, My understanding of it in terms of cultural control is... um, I'd say the industry and farmers are aware of certain individual cultural control methods like rotation. Um, Ironically, (laughs) um, the the three crop rule of crop diversification, which came in with the basic payment scheme, um, forced rotation onto some farms. And I'd say it was a saving grace in many places because there was herbicide resistance developing on both grass weeds and broadleaf weeds, which kind of was quelled after that point, because uh, because alternative uh, chemistry was introduced um, the industry and farmers um, really need to have a collective approach on all of the methods and an integrated um, problem. They just the likes of a nutrient management plan um is is common on a farm so if you if you integrated the same approach with cultural control methods i i I don't think we should have a problem you know
0: okay so when you when we kind of look at maybe some of the more common weeds you mentioned already wild oats and sterile brome of which are probably some of the biggest weeds out there um where do you think or what have you seen i suppose working in the private private uh, entities um where's the biggest gains possible in terms of control of these weeds do you think
1: with wild oats this the chemistry has been axial based programs up to now and anything that takes the pressure off of that and prevents these ACKs resistance from building up will 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 surely benefit um like from the ECT project itself in Oak Park, 25% of the samples submitted for testing were resistant. So it's a real and, and obvious threat that's out there. Um, so stale seedbed technique is obvious and, and use of diphacet pre-sowing. If you can introduce rotational break crops, oilseed rape or legumes, whatever else, you'll have alternative chemistry coming into the mix. Machine hygiene, nobody can emphasize enough how much a baler and combine can spread wild oats from from field to field. Um, one thing that's not that commonly talked about is uh, wild oat is susceptible to competition at a very early growth stage. So, having an adequate plant count by using appropriate seed rates and having them very well established, you know, can be a very effective control measure as well. That's not talked about too much. With the brome, I suppose with sterile brome, um. You must use a combination of chemical and cultural control methods. Um, you know it, it, it's important, as with all grass weeds, to identify them in time, in May and June. Um, if if the particular patches are bad, bale them and remove the affected straw, and, and again machine hygiene for the baler and combine on those areas comes into play. Stale seed beds and the use of glyphosate pre-sowing, but Um, The appropriate pre-emergence or early post-emergence sprays are are extremely important. And if it was in a winter wheat situation, a follow-up then in the the springtime with the likes of Pacifica, you know. Um, But, you know, all the cultural control methods like crop rotation and stale seed beds and use cover crops, are are um are essential uh, arable grass margins actually also with with, with sterile brome are very effective
0: mm. there's two other ones john just as you're as you're, as you're chatting mm-hmm. there kind of struck me as it was going along in terms of wild oats there's there's often a case where where, where people um where it goes from cereals into a non-cereal crop can uh, neglect to just go and rogue them uh, in yeah. the first place or maybe even rogue them in the uh in, in, in a cereal crop, I think more people should be should be doing that and and, and obviously then for brome, the other probably easy one, I suppose, uh, even on non-plough-based systems to reset the system is to use a plough. It yeah. works extremely well and we all know it works extremely well but look, that's just two other Absolutely. ones that kind of struck me as, it, as you were chatting there, you know.
1: Yeah, the, the other thing which I, I think we should mention is herbicide rates are another reason why we have reduced control and resistance problems so, using robust, ro- robust rates at the recommended rates. Uh, it's just essential, in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. I suppose, John, the really tricky one that I suppose is, is blackgrass From your, you know, going around the country over the last number of years, how much do you think that has increased over the last five years or so?
1: <laughs> it's a hard one to, to answer, Michael. Um, the one thing I suppose we have got better at detecting it, which helps, but... I would also think that there has has been a steady increase at the same time as well. Um, I suppose more worrying for me is that that within the ECT project um, we're showing up um, a number of resistant populations in the glasshouse uh, experiments, and uh, these are from samples that were have been submitted to Oak Park um, from the industry. So. Uh, I'm I'm worried about that, but I'm also worried about how many populations may be out there that we actually don't know about yet, as well. You know, um, so it, it, I would imagine it's increased a lot over the last five years, and and probably is on that upward trajectory.
0: You've probably you you, you, you may well have answered this question already, but you've been um, you know you joined the project only recently, a couple of months ago and you've managed to get your head into some of the areas that we've been working on in the project over that period of time. Are you more or less worried or concerned now in terms of, um, uh, I suppose, the tillage systems that we use, the establishment systems that we use, and the grass weeds uh, that were there with the knowledge you have now in comparison to what you had before you started? Good question, Michael. Um, I would say, in fairness,
1: I'm probably more concerned um being a typical agronomist and, and I farm as well. Sh- we all read and we hear about resistance and we all take notes and everything else, but I am seeing the work that the likes of E.J. Vaskar is doing in the glass house is, when you see populations up close two weeks after being sprayed with commercial agrochemicals at, at standard agro-commercial rates, um, and they're standing up tall and green as a leak. um it's pretty scary to be honest um and it, like the one thing Vijay has pointed out to me in his work is you know the resistance he's finding is not uniform you know um but say some of the bromes, you know in fairness he's not finding that much resistance from the samples have been sent in whereas the wild oats it seems to be all uh ack's um resistance um Black grass, it's multiple resistance, uh, every every chemical type. Um, but the one thing I have to say is that uh, it's very encouraging to see the amount of samples which were submitted to Oak Park for testing um, over the course of the program to date. So th- there's an awareness of the possibility of herbicide resistance being out there, but it does also shows a willingness to do something about it, which has to be very useful, you know
0: i suppose maybe you got a, i think you got a, a first hand knowledge spend a bit of time in the glass house about how intensive this work is and how 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 difficult and 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 time soaking it is i suppose
1: well i i just like to say on on that point um i have a a, a full appreciation now of <laughs> how long it takes to get a sample result um yeah it is it is a very intensive um process taking 6 to 7 weeks per per batch as well so, um, yeah. yeah, I have first-hand knowledge now <laughs> and more of an appreciation.
0: Yeah, so so coming back to resistance that we that, 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 that were talking about there and you're a little bit worried about that, how do you think that should play into how agronomists view weeds on the ground at the moment in terms of their recommendations to farmers? Well, I suppose
1: in twofold. One, it's up to us to, to make sure that the knowledge that we're gaining through the project is is adequately transferred to all of the advisors and farmers out there. Um, We must get get the advice out there properly so they can be fully equipped with with the knowledge, they need to come up with the integrated control techniques that are required in order to give the correct advice. And that will protect our arsenal of chemistry and avoid the resistance problems.
0: So the agronomists, to a degree, I suppose, need to need to change and encourage farmers to, I suppose, um, be in a situation where the agronomists can, uh, I suppose, recommend a, a various different uh, herbicide types to, to help that resistance scenario not build up, I suppose, in the first place and, and to try and control if it, it is there in the second. Absolutely. And, and and it's just, the other part is to
1: say it. it's, it's all doable. It's just to be subconsciously aware of, that there are other alternatives to chemistry and work those solutions into an overall system on the farm if you can.
0: So in terms of helping farmers out in, in terms of this project, you probably have in your mind a, a number of um, you know, actions that you're going to, going to try and undertake over the next number of months to try and get information across. You might maybe give us an idea about some of the things that you're going to try and do. Primarily, I want to start and, and
1: I, I need to follow up with all of the participants and advisors who have submitted all those samples for the resistance testing and work with them and outline a plan of action, depending on the results. And as you've pointed out, it's a it, it's a slow and expensive process and it will be finalized by the summer, but it needs to be taken on board to, to deal with the resistant fields out there. Um, um the focus farm validation areas on the 10 focus farms need to be uh developed further with the best practice and enhanced practice techniques um to come up with the 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 the, the proper cultural grassroots control measures but the the one thing i really want to um focus on between now and the summer would be to continue grassweed identification workshops and the likes of training events to develop a suite of control measures with the different farmer groups and advisors that are out there
0: and and can people john contact you directly to try and set up some of those if you, if there's a a bunch of farmers or students or um even agronomists i suppose who want to uh sit down with you and um get some get some training or, or put some put some um you know, relevant uh samples in front of farmers to try and get everybody trained up to the same level.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and no problem. Um well I've I can be contacted by email, um John.mahan at jogas.ie if you wanted to email me. And I think uh Michael, just the most important thing, if I might say to finish, um, is if there's someone out there contemplating conservation agriculture techniques for the first time not to be afraid to try a bit there's plenty of good sources of help and plenty of good reasons why it might be the right choice for your farm right now and for those of them who are up and running and probably may be experiencing odd problems again plenty of groups organizations lots of experience out there to help you get over thieving problems and you know if any of the problems are with grass weeds or whatever else and um, I'm, I'm i'm available as are all of the Chagas advisors and agronomists in the industry. We're there to help and we'll develop a strategy suitable for the farm to move forward.
0: That's great, John. Thank you very much for your time and uh, look, certainly looking forward to working with you on the project over the next uh, two years or so um, that you're going to be around and hopefully we'll get um, all of the bits and pieces that we're after chatting about here to try and get a, get, get a better understanding of the industry over the next uh, the next little while. So again, thanks very much, John, for your time. Thank you, Michael. So that's it for the Tillage Edge, and my thanks to John for joining me today. If you have any suggestions about a topic you would like to hear more about, then drop me an email on michael.hennessy at chagas.ae or on Twitter at chagascrops. We want to hear from farmers and other people in the industry about what interests them, so please do get in touch. There are a number of events coming up in the next few weeks with the National Tillage Conference Part 1 on this Thursday, January the 13th, and the second part on Thursday, January the 27th. Around these conference days, there are also webinars dealing with topics such as fertilizer use, CAP, malt and barley, and other crop management issues. All of these events can be found at www.chogas.ie forward slash Log on there to register for these events. Finally, don't forget, if you enjoyed this podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week with more tidish news and advice.